Welcome to our third class on Christian basics, or for my Lutheran teenagers out there, confirmation. Every week we try to bring you biblical content and application that will help you in your new or emerging walk with Christ. I'm Evan McClanahan, I'm the pastor at First Lutheran down in Houston, Texas, and this week we're looking at the reliability of the Bible. Let's roll. Here's a simple question for you. Can you trust the Bible? Is it reliable? After all, it was written, you know, some of it 2,500 years ago without the help of any technology like computers. How can you actually trust what it says? A lot of people wrote it. There's over 40 authors of the Bible. It was passed down from generation to generation, often orally, sometimes written. And when you go to college or if you're already there or you know, if you're just absorbing things in the world, you'll know there's a lot of college professors who want you to doubt and definitely doubt the veracity and the truthfulness and the reliability of the Bible. So what do you think? Can this old collection of writings be trusted to actually tell you something about the way things really are and about God himself? Well, I wanna give you three reasons to say yes along with me. The first is that there are spiritual reasons to believe that the Bible's reliable in what it says. And then there are internal reasons, reasons you'll find within the Bible itself. And then there are external reasons, like the number of manuscripts we have and things like that. But let's take it apart, piece by piece. First, the spiritual reasons to believe that the Bible is reliable. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if the Bible is what I say that it is, that it's the Word of God, then it needs to tell a consistent story about the revelation of this one God of the universe who dared to make himself known, give himself a, a name, reveal himself to the Israelites, and then continue to reveal himself in such a way that the same God was communicating all the way through the Old Testament and the creation until the very last page of the New Testament. It's really pretty remarkable that it is the same God who creates when you talk about Noah and the flood, the calling of Abraham, the prophet speaking to Israel, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, it's the same story of the same God spanned over thousands of years. Now, if somewhere in the middle of that, you know, it like shifted gears or all of a sudden we're talking about a different God, yeah, I can see why people might have reasons to doubt that this spiritual work is anything but. It's just a, a work of fiction that people made up. But in fact, that isn't what you see. The God of the Bible is the same, is the same God from beginning to end. And that historical account is also an unbroken chain of events, right? So what happens with Adam and Eve and then with the flood and then with Abraham and then his sons and eventually the kings and the prophet, you know, Moses and Joshua thrown in there as well. It's, it, it's, there's a historical chain of events that makes perfect sense. Trust me, when you read a lot of other mythology and you you know, things are switching gears, there's not a confluence of events, you begin to appreciate things like this, like the consistency you find in the Bible. In the New Testament, Jesus affirms the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God. He, he quotes from them and he validates them. Paul, who writes about half of the New Testament with his letters, well, he does the same. He, he certainly believes that he's talking about the same God. There's no doubt in their mind about that. 
Paul even says that the scriptures, all of the scriptures are God breathed. And so even when a new covenant is ushered in, it is still said to be from this same God and this pattern of God establishing covenants with his people. But here's the thing. Either the scriptures themselves are the word of God or they are complete fiction. Because the scriptures say about themselves that they're the word of God. So if they aren't, then that claim is a lie. And if that claim is a lie, then you can't trust them at all. But if the claims are true, and if the Bible then really is the word of God, then you can actually know who this God is simply by knowing your Bible. Well, I don't want to just hang out up here in the clouds. Let's talk about some good internal evidence for the authority and the reliability of the scriptures. There's actually a lot of really interesting um, evidences in this regard, and I'm going to put a, a link to a, a YouTube video and a lecture that goes into a lot more detail on this. Uh, of course, there's a lot more detail on this in all kinds of places. I'm just giving you the, the quick overview. Well, first, there's agreement in the way that the Bible presents the world and the way that the world actually was. That's something you probably take for granted. I mean, when people pick up the Bible and they read it and they're like, yeah, 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 this is telling this account or this account. But if there are things in it that were just wrong, like it had a piece of technology that hadn't been invented yet, or, um, or the names of people were really weird, they were out of step with what the names of people were at that time, you'd notice that and you would say, wait a minute, I'm not sure that I can trust this. But that's actually not what you find in the Bible at all. In fact, the Bible is the chief source for archaeologists as they decide where to do digs for things because it is that accurate. But it's in the little things, right? You know, the coinage that people use, the names that people have, the jobs that people have, the architecture that was used to build buildings, the um, agricultural practices, the labor practices, who were the governors at the time or, or various government officials, you know, language and culture, social stratification, even the weather. You know, these are things that the Bible really gets right. And the question is, well, if they get all these little details right that are practically incidental, don't you think they're going to get the big details right when they're really trying to convey a very important message about, you know, forgiveness and eternal life? Well, two, there are undesigned coincidences that uh, appear in the gospel accounts. And I want to read a, a fuller quote um, from or really about a New Testament scholar, Lydia McGrew, whose area of specialties is in these unintended coincidences. Lydia McGrew defines an undesigned coincidence as a notable connection between two or more accounts or texts that doesn't seem to have been planned. Despite their apparent independence, the items fit together like pieces of a puzzle. In other words, an undesigned coincidence occurs when multiple passages of Scripture include details that at first seem unrelated, but which upon further reflection fit together in a way that only makes sense if both accounts are based on the same underlying historical truth. Well, here's an example. If you look at the feeding of the 5,000, that's the only miracle story that is in all four gospel accounts other than the resurrection. And each gospel will pre present slightly different details about that story. You know, the time of year it was, the number of people, who Jesus asks to, to get the bread from, where the people were seated, that they were seated on grass, things of that nature, how many, how many bread and, and, and fish there were. Now, the fact that these different Gospels have different details, but they all line up. Like, so for example, if one of the Gospels indicated that they were sitting on dirt, 
But another one said it was during the Passover, which we know would have been in April or so, which would have been after the rainy season, which would have been where grass was growing. Then we'd say, wait a minute, this one says it's here and this one says it's here. This doesn't line up. But actually they have all these independent, undesigned coincidences that sort of line up. Now, does that prove that Jesus took, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 5,000 people? No. But what it indicates is that the authors got the little details right. And again, if they got the incidental details right, then it's a good reason to trust that they would get the most important details right, like the fact that he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Another way you can see some internal consistency with the Bible and reliability, therefore, is in the travels of Paul. You know, Paul writes a lot about his ministry uh, to various churches in his letters, but those things are written about Paul in the book of Acts. But when you line up Acts with what Paul writes about himself, his timelines, his message, some of the events, the people he meets along the way, uh, like um, uh, Mark and Luke and so on and so forth, those details all line up. So it's not just in the Gospels, but beyond as well, that people seem to have taken pains to get the small details right and the bigger details right, so that the biggest details of all, you know, that God became flesh, died for the forgiveness of our sins, was risen on the third day bodily, etc., that those things are very trustworthy. Now, finally, I want to look at the external evidence for the reliability of the Bible. Now, that is, we actually have a lot of manuscripts of the New Testament. We have what one scholar, Craig Evans, calls an embarrassment of riches. Now, what, what does all that mean? Well, the New Testament that we have is essentially a gathered manuscripts from all over the, the ancient world, and they got all these manuscripts together and somewhere in different traditions, and they put them together and they said, wow, there's remarkable agreement between these two manuscript traditions or these major four manuscript traditions. And when we compare them, the differences are, are pretty small. Uh, the variants between them are mostly grammatical or spelling or word order or something like that. But the, the, the main stories in these Gospels are basically the same with just a few notable exceptions, none of which really affect core doctrine. So we have about 5,000 of these manuscripts. Uh, you know, some of them are very, very small, just a few sentences. Some of them are whole manuscripts that come from later. And that's just the ones that are in Greek, the language the New Testament was written in. There are many other thousands in other languages that are also very ancient that are helpful to us. But if you take that number 5,000, that may not seem like a lot, but it's actually by a factor of 10 more than the next highest number of, of an ancient document in terms of the manuscripts available, and it's a factor of hundreds more than we have of other historical documents. Now, why does that matter? Why is it good to have a lot of manuscripts? Well, let me use this as an example. Let's say you throw a dinner party and you make your famous meatloaf. It's like your grandmother's like recipe and it's the best meatloaf ever. And 20 of your best friends come over and they eat it. But 20 years later, you fall on your head and you have amnesia and you, you don't have your meatloaf recipe anymore. So you call all 20 of those friends and each one, because they love the meatloaf so much that they went home and they recorded the recipe from you, right? But then in the intervening years, they're all making the meatloaf, and they actually want to tweak the recipe a little bit. They, they want to add one more egg or a little bit more pork or a little bit more salt or some breadcrumbs or something like that. Maybe they want to like put ketchup on top of it, which <laughs> why you'd ever do that to meatloaf, I don't know. But anyway, people do it. So you call your 20 friends, and you, you're getting the information back from them, and the recipes are mostly the same, but they're a little bit different. 
Well, the more that you have, the more that you can be certain that the information that's in the majority is the best information. Now, that's not the only way to say whether something is accurate. Sometimes an earlier or older manuscript is better than something that's in the majority. But as an example, let's say all 16 or 16 of the 20 recipes you get from your friends, well, they all say that there's the same ratio of beef and pork in this meatloaf recipe. Well, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, 16 all say the same thing, and then three say one thing, and then one says something else. I'm going with the 16. And you could do that for every part of that recipe, where there's wide agreement, the answer is pretty clear. You can faithfully then recreate your grandmother's meatloaf recipe. Congratulations. Be careful. Wear a helmet when you ride your bike so that whole amnesia thing doesn't happen to you. And the truth is that really even skeptics agree on this point. They, they agree that at this point, given all the manuscript evidence that we have, that the New Testament we have is reliable, and we're just sort of tinkering on the edges. Take a look at this concession that probably the most famous scholar who is a critic of the New Testament, Bart Ehrman, uh, listen to what he says and he concedes when he is pressed by a Christian apologist, James White, in a debate on the reliability of the Bible uh, on whether or not it's true that we have the, uh, what, the, uh, what was originally written and we can trust that it's reliable. Check out this clip. Um, my, my question is really about Parker. Why is it that uh, David Parker thinks we can't get back to the original text? Well, there are a number of reasons, uh, theological and uh, genealogical. Uh, obviously, I have focused on his theological reason uh, in that he asserts that we have made an artificial distinction uh, between text and tradition, uh, which uh, I, I certainly would, would strongly disagree with. Uh, but as you yourself have said, uh, as far as the current state of the manuscript tradition is concerned, we're as far back as we can get. I think the term that you used in an SBL article a few years ago was we're now we're just tinkering uh, as far as that is concerned. And so apart from some major find, a Dead Sea Scrolls level New Testament uh, type of find, uh, there seems to be a fair amount of, out of uh, skepticism at yeah. being able to get far, any farther back. Yeah, I agree with that. Can you tell me why? So to me, that's a pretty notable concession. And so I think when you put all of the evidence together, right, when you look at the consistent story that the Bible itself tells about the same God who reveals himself in the same way uh, over the passage of time, communicates to the Israelites, and then in, in through the, the new covenant, even with Jesus Christ, I think when you look at the internal evidence, the consistent story that is told, um, you know, the incidental details, for example, I think is very powerful. And then when you look at the fact that we have all of these manuscripts where you don't have to choose between one or another, if there's a disagreement, you have thousands of manuscripts that help you really know that you have what the apostles wrote to begin with. You put all that together and I think the answer is very clearly, yes, the Bible is reliable. You know, does that make it true? Well, that's what we've talked about and will continue to talk about as we go on, but it's certainly reliable. You read it for yourself, and you can determine if you think it has a ring of truth. I most certainly think it does. Well, I hope this was interesting. Next week, we're going to be talking about whether miracles are possible. You know, a lot of the Christian claims rely on miracles and the possibility of miracles. So I'm going to have a friend who's an apologist join me 
and it won't just be me yakking for once. Uh, it'll be a couple of us talking about whether miracles are possible. So see you then. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Uh, email me at christianbasicsclass at gmail.com or check out the website, flhouston.org, for more information. Until then, take care.